And it's time for another episode of the Velvet Owl Show, where he starts choking, because he's trying to eat and record at the same time. Velvet Owl here, once again, with yet another attempt at a theme song. One of these days. One of these days. Actually, I think it might be funnier just to try to have a new theme song each time. So, I promise, I absolutely 100%, this will be the last set of educational films. And next week, I will go back to watching terrible films. But, it's volume 6. And might be a little longer because I'm going to try to cram as many as I can into here. So let's start right off. Wastage of human resources. Description is how crippling diseases, avoidable accidents, crime, war, old age, alcoholism, and poor living conditions waste human lives and their potential. So let's learn. And I guess we're going to learn how not to waste our lives. We start off with a hotel fire that has tragically claimed the lives of 52 people. And there's a list. And they highlight Alfred Hilton of Columbus, Ohio, because I guess he's going to be important, but I just want to stop and highlight someone else on this list. Two people. Ernest and Helen Lewis from Buffalo, New York. Because I'm from Buffalo. And so, and I suspect that most of the people who do listen to my podcast are friends of mine so they are also from buffalo so if anyone out there knows the descendants of ernest and helen lewis from buffalo send them my condolences i am very sorry that your family members died in this hotel fire so alfred hilton was a pianist a guy who plays the piano and they highlighted two other people. One was a steel worker, and one was a housewife. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and read between the lines. Cause I can only think of one reason that those three were highlighted among the dead. They were having a threesome. Steel worker and the housewife, they were playing with the pianist. I don't think I got the pronunciation quite quite right to make the joke work. But I'm sticking by it. They were fucking and died. And so did Ernest and Helen Lewis. My condolences to your descendants. But your grandparents or great-grandparents, they were fucking when the hotel cop fire. But as the narrator tells us, there's other things that cause wastage of human life. Which just seems kind of weird, really. It's a weird way to say it. Wastage of human life. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the human lives are being wasted. And so they're telling us about babies dying. Because, oh, this is a cheerful film, isn't it? Hotel fires and babies dying. So 60,000 die in the first month. And 40 more thousand die within the first year of infancy. And the baby they're showing, I think he just heard and comprehended what the narrator just said because he's looking like, what the fuck? Am I going to die? 
Misa gonna die? Fuck you, I like Jar Jar Binks. You know, he didn't ruin episode one. He didn't ruin the Phantom Menace. Cause take him out, and that is still an incredibly shitty movie with a cool pod race scene. So it wasn't Jar Jar's fault. Justice for Jar Jar. Hashtag. Yeah, no, I know the hashtag goes beforehand, but I'm cool, so I'm gonna start hashtagging after the thing I hashtag. The problem, the narrator tells us, is that doctors just don't know enough about infant care, apparently. Or maybe he's inferring that the parents don't know. Someone doesn't know enough about infant care. Because, I don't know, is it the Appalachian kids from, like, a few weeks back with that educational film? I mean, yeah, I think they don't know anything about infant care. But... You might think like, oh, well, once I got past the infant age stage, I'm good to go. But nope. Older children die too. And they die because of the physical environment. Like this kid who just got fucking run over by a car. At least we didn't actually see it because they probably didn't have the effects budget to pull it off. But, you know, he's with his little friend and... He walks off, and she walks off, camera follows her, and suddenly you hear, crash. No damage to the car. Which, I'm pretty sure, isn't there usually some damage if you hit a kid? I mean, there's a lot of fucking damage if you hit a deer. But deer, I guess, is bigger than most kids. Deers are more, like, durable. Um, yeah, I once hit a deer. Actually, I did not hit a deer. The deer hit me. Which was crazy. It just fucking jumped on the hood of my car. And it was a lot of fucking damage. And totaled my car. What I'm saying is fuck deer. And this kid... His death could have been prevented if the guy was just watching where he drove. Or something. I don't know. He should have gone to that... Um, school that we did last week where children learned how to drive. But there's also, like, not necessarily dying, but just poor quality of life with diseases and being crippled and this little girl in a wheelchair is just looking at the camera like, what the fuck? I'm a human being! Stop gawking at me! Narrator's all like, children are robbed out of their happiness. And she's just like, what the I am not here to be cocked at. I am still a fucking human being. Treat me with respect. And I agree with her. Fucking narrator. Maybe she has plenty of happiness. Like, okay, she can't go skip and jump. But, you know, she can read a book. She can read a good book. Which I think is more fun than skipping and jumping. Because, you know, if you're skipping and jumping, you might get hit by a fucking car. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, I got past the dangers of infancy, got past the dangers of childhood, I'm in the clear. Ha ha ha, nope. Because you're still in trouble with adolescence. Although they don't give us any ways of the adolescence being killed. Um, just that, if you're a teenager, your life's going to be shitty. Like, kind of no way around it. Especially if you're from a rural era. Rural area. 
or you don't have access to good schools and you're going to drop out to do crappy jobs like working at a warehouse, you know, and you don't have the opportunity to advance, which is, this is just all fucking elitist bullshit. Like, okay, yeah, finish your education, but go to the trade school. Perfectly fine. There is no shame. If you are working in a warehouse, the world needs warehouse workers. Jeff Bezos needs warehouse workers that will work for basically no money. So don't work in an Amazon warehouse, but still, people are needed in a warehouse, and this film is all fucking like, what a waste. You're in a warehouse. Just fuck you, narrator. And then there's the problem where children with unhappy homes, they're going to become juvenile delinquents. They're going to smoke and play cards. And they're probably gambling. Which, again, fuck you, narrator. This is not a... He calls it a tragic waste. I don't consider it a tragic waste. Maybe smoking. Smoking is bad for you. It's bad for your physical health. But gambling can cause problems. But if you're learning how to gamble properly at a young age, you can make money. You can learn a good grift. Learn how to properly do a three-card Monty when you're a kid. Then when you're older, you are set. But there's other dangers. Like playing sports. Like, this guy's playing tennis, and all of a sudden, he has a heart attack! And keels over! Which, you know, that makes me want to not play tennis. Because, you know, I can keel over from a heart attack from either playing tennis, or for sitting at home eating a cheeseburger, watching TV. I think it's kind of obvious. The cheeseburger is the better way to die. Or at least the better way to have a heart attack and so problems in not getting healthy checkups and keeping uh, good health in your childhood can manifest itself as you're getting older and during the secret service or not the secret the social service social service the select service my god I've already forgotten you know the army like when you get drafted Whatever that's called. A third of the men had to be rejected because they had problems like heart disease and hernias and venereal disease and anxiety. Hey, that's what the narrator's telling me are the causes for why they got rejected. And, you know, did they not think to check to see if these guys still have enough heart and see if you could inject them with some super steroids and turn them into the next Captain America? Huh? Huh? You didn't think about that, did you? I mean, granted, the serum got destroyed after Steve Rogers got it. But, you know, keep them on standby. There could have been another serum invented. In fact, why didn't they go back and try... Oh, yeah, actually, they did try several, several times, and it always failed because they killed one scientist smart enough to know it. But, I mean, seriously, at some point, someone had to have figured it out. And then uh, it also becomes a problem as you get into adulthood because if you're sick, you know, 
you could miss out on work and your factory job. So apparently working at the factory, good. Working at the warehouse, bad. You're fucking elitist bullshit. That doesn't even make sense. Why are y'all like, you know, you gotta keep up at the factory, but don't drop out of school and work at the warehouse. What the hell? I, I, I think this film is making me sick. That's the true cause of health problems. Another wastage occurs because of unemployment. You know, guys who are just in peak health and peak skills, it just goes to waste because there's no jobs to be had. Which at least the narrator feels sympathetic towards people who don't have a job. This was back when we were like, you know, this is a bad thing. This is bad shape for people. Supposed to nowadays, someone's unemployed, fucking lazy bum, go find a job. There's lots of jobs out there. But this film is like, you know, it's a waste. We need to help these people. And then when you reach the golden years of old age, yep, that's right. <laughs> Your life's being wasted there too. Because you've got nothing to do, or you might be sick and illness and crippled, you know, what can you do? You know, these old people, they try looking for work, but there is no work! Because, you know, the able-bodied people can't get work. How are the old folks going to get work? And this just leaves them bitter. And, you know, the narrator says that like a bad thing. I am looking forward to being a curmudgeon. In fact, I'm already jumping on the whole curmudgeon thing, even though, like, I'm probably not old enough, but being bitter and everyone just kind of being, like, accepting it, saying, huh? yeah, he's old, so of course he's going to be bitter. That just sounds fucking awesome. I, I am so, like, ready to just run out on my porch with a broom yelling, Hey, you kids, get off my lawn! I mean, is there really a point to life if you're not going to reach that day when you can just yell at kids to get off your lawn? No, there is no point to life. That is the whole reason we live. We live long enough so we can yell at kids to get off our lawn. Then there's other wastage in life when you're stuck in jail or a mental institution or you're a drunk or drug addict. And there's war that just kills so many people. Complete waste of life. And that's about it. I do not know what the fuck the point of this film was. Life's a waste. Everything is going to waste away. Everything's pointless. I mean, I guess that was the idea of the film. Everything's pointless, so why bother? I think. I don't know. What the fuck was that? That just kind of went on about people dying or having, like, terrible lives. There was no point in learning anything. All right, all right, all right. Next up, we've got We Work Again, which is about how the New Deal benefits African Americans. Um, so, you know what? Like I've said several times throughout this there hasn't really been black people in these educational films so this will be interesting 
Um, and horribly racist, I'm betting. This is 1937. Not exactly, you know, a time of wokeness. Um, so, I'm... Maybe I should keep track of how many times they say Negro. Or the other N-word. That'd be something. Um, yeah, so... I probably won't keep track because I'll forget, but... We'll, we'll see how... I'll try to see how often they say Negro. Okay, so this is probably going to be quite racist on my part. But the narrator keeps talking about our people. And I think he's white. Which, like I said, is quite racist on my part to assume that, you know, there's a certain sound of sounding white and of sounding black. But, I mean, it's a good, you know, assumption because black people probably weren't getting the roles of being narrators. Or maybe they were because, you know, since you can't see them, it's not as... You know, the racists aren't going to have as much problem. So who knows, maybe it could be a black guy. Either way, he talks way too fucking fast. Is there something about, like, particularly, like, the 30s and before where they had to, like, talk, like, super fast? It's just something I've noticed, not just, like, in these educational films, but I think just films in general. Like, they just, like, they just hire people off the racetrack or something or auctioneers, um, but the Great Depression has, um, unproportionately, um, is that the right word? Disproportionately affected black people, you know, a quarter of black people are unemployed, they're in the bread line, so, yeah, um, so they're, uh, showing a problem that's still kind of going on in that, you know, Problems of this country disproportionately affect black people. So, but at least uh, the narrator isn't trying to make it seem like black people are poor because they're lazy. So, thank you, narrator, for being culturally sensitive. So, maybe he really is a black narrator because he understands that there's more at work. It's not the lazy stereotype of the black people not wanting to work. Um, you know what? I don't know if... He, he's just said our people. I don't think he said black or African-American or Negro yet. I mean, I, I'm assuming it's going to be Negro. Definitely not African-American because that term wasn't, like, in use till like, the 90s, I think. But black... I think black came around, like, 50s or 60s. So I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of wor- use of the word Negro. Again. But so far... He hasn't, like, actually even, like, stated. He just keeps saying, our people. So maybe that's just kind of, like, the workaround of, like, not having to say Negro or the other N-word, which they probably really wanted to use. Um, So it's kind of the inverse of you people. It's our people. But the federal jobs program has helped get people out of the breadline. Um... The unemployment line, I guess. Well, I guess they probably just really were in line to get bread. But so, you know, there's the montage of people standing in line, sad, and then now they're at their new job, and they're very happy. And so they're working, like, at a soup kitchen or something. I think they're making soup, or the lady's, like, 
sewing. So she's in the sewing factory, and Sky's like a painter. And then one guy's playing an accordion. Was this part of the federal jobs program? That's fucking awesome. I bet everyone was like, I want that job. I want the accordion job. Fuck, I want the accordion job for real right now. You know, the economy's in shambles thanks to the pandemic. So Biden, and this is Biden, because if you're listening to this in like 20 years, insert whichever president is president at the time. But dear Mr. President, or Ms. President, I'm not going to assume that it's definitely a male president in your time of listening. But get people back to work by having them play the accordion. I don't know why, but it really bugs me that they're not saying Negro or black person or, you know, anything. It's just over and over needy families or families of moderate means. So, it's weird. Not They're not even saying the poor. Um, but you see the footage, and it's hella segregated. <laughs> like, everything's segregated, so the fact that they're not, like, bringing up race just seems very weird. It's like, and look at the children playing in the pool. Yeah, like, all the black children, because the white children don't want to play with the black children. Or probably more accurately, the white parents don't want their children playing with the black children. So it's just... Hug, like... I don't know. I don't know if... It's kind of like this film's just not racist enough. It should be more racist. Because then it'd be entertaining. Pick a side. Grow some balls. It's the 30s. Be racist. Flap your racist balls all around. And so we get to see all the great, like, adult education they get to go through and all these wonderful jobs they get. Um, If you pay close attention, all the bosses are white. But, yeah, I guess uh, this shows how great things are for black people, even though they're not willing to say black or negro or colored. You know what? I I don't know why I didn't bet on colored either. But I mean, that's a moot point because they didn't say colored either. They just said our people. Yes, things are great for our people now. No trouble whatsoever anymore. Next on the lesson plan, what about juvenile delinquency? Well, what about it? This looks entertaining. Jim leaves the gang after attacks his father and joins other teenagers at City Hall to argue against the imposition of a curfew. Wait a minute. If the gang attacked his father, why is he against the curfew? Huh. Sounds like a plot hole or someone screwed up the description. Let us find out. Wow, this gang is like the fucking preppiest white boys I've ever seen. I am so not scared. I mean, like the gang in Greece is more fucking dangerous looking. <laughs> They're just so super preppy. But they got jackets. And, you know, jackets mean a gang. And, you know, it's dark, it's nighttime, and they're hot-rodding it in their car. But 
Old Man Withers, he's at the stop sign, and he's not moving, because, I don't know, traffic's busy. I can't really get a sense of the traffic, but I'm guessing he doesn't have the clearance to make it. But these juvenile delinquents don't care, so they start bumping his car with their car. And he gets out, and he's all mad. He's like, what are you punks doing? And they're like, who are you calling punks? Because, punk? According to the book, Please Kill Me, um, who was it? William S. Burroughs, I think it was, said that back in the 50s, punk was someone who took it up the ass. So, of course, these homophobic preppy guys do not like being called punks. And they all surround him, and I don't know, I think they're going to kill him, because then it cuts to a shot of his picture, and I thought it was going to be like, you know, his picture in a newspaper that he killed or something. But there's really happy jazz music going on, and I, th- I assume it's his wife is cleaning the picture. So, let's find out what's happen- going on with Happy Jazzy Wife. And the happy-go-lucky w- wife's son, Jimmy, is part of this gang. He's just loafing around on the couch in his gang jacket, waiting for the rest of the gang to come and pick him up. Oh boy, if only he and they knew that they attacked Jimmy's father, possibly killed him. I don't know. Maybe he's just in the hospital. We don't know. We don't know what happened to Jimmy's father yet. But Jimmy's off with the gang to a drive-in restaurant. And, you know, it's getting really late. It's after 8 o'clock. Man, you know, if these kids had a curfew. Fucking juvenile delinquents. Inside the restaurant, the guys are showing off this awesome pen. Because... God, what an awesome gang. They've got pens. They fucking got fucking fuck-ass pens. But Jimmy's like, hey, that's a cool pen. You know, my dad has one like it. Where did you get it? They're like, ah, it fell out of this old guy's pocket while we were beating him up because he called us names. You should have been there. And Jimmy's like, oh, well, what was this guy like? He's like, oh, this old bald-headed guy. And then Jimmy... Jimmy's the smart one, and the gears are turning in his head, and he's like, hmm, Pen just like my father, bald-headed guy just like my father. So he asks, what kind of car was the guy driving? Yeah, yellow Buick. And Jimmy's like, yellow Buick, just like my father. And it snaps, 2 plus 2 equals 22. It was his father, and he's mad, and he rips off the patch off his jacket and throws it on the table, signifying that he's no longer part of this fucking gang of lightning bolt patches that looked like they were homemade. Because they got the merit badge in patching. Jimmy runs home. I'm guessing he runs home, or he catches the bus. And... His dad is there, bruised up, but he's okay. He's going to make it. And Jimmy's like, I'm sorry, Dad. And Dad's like, it's not your fault, Jimmy. But then Dad sees the jacket, which has still pieces of fiber from the patch that he ripped off. And it clicks in his head. It was Jimmy's gang. And Jimmy's all sad. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't go full on crying, but 
in his heart he's crying and he runs upstairs and dad's just thinking what kind of gang has jimmy gotten in with the next day at school jimmy's not wearing his jacket because you know he's not part of the gang anymore so even though the patch is torn off he's not gonna even wear the jacket but the rest of the gang wants jimmy to rejoin they even saved his patch and he doesn't want to and they try to explain you know they didn't know it was his father if it was his father they wouldn't have done it which i mean at least they have some sort of standards but jimmy just doesn't want to and his heart to heart is broken up by a bunch of other classmates who look like they're in their 40s and they're complaining because their um city council's planning to install curfews and raise the age of driver's licenses and other stuff that will make life tough for teenagers all because some teenagers not naming names you evil gang you of juvenile delinquents went around and beat people up and kicked over statues who knows who could have been so they need Jimmy's help to argue against the city council that, you know, they shouldn't punish all teenagers because of a couple of juvenile delinquents. Little do they know, Jimmy is one of those juvenile delinquents. Well, I mean, not anymore. And, I mean, he didn't participate in the beating up of his dad. So I don't know if he was involved in the kicking over of the statue. Jimmy might be innocent here. The other kids think Jimmy has the best chance of stopping the city council. Because it was his dad that got attacked. So, you know, I guess they figure, well, you know, my dad was attacked, but I'm okay with the kids being out on the streets at night. City council will cave. But for some reason, the gang doesn't want Jimmy to go to make the argument or any of the other kids which makes no sense, doesn't... Wouldn't the gang want to be able to continue to be juvenile delinquents on the streets at night? Well, I guess they're not the brightest juvenile delinquents. So Jimmy and the nerds go running, and they load up in the nerdmobile, and they drive off to try to get to the uh, meeting before it takes place and curfews installed. Um, what a, The city council meeting, yes. And the gang, they start chasing after them, but they don't have their gang mobile out front, so they got to run to get it. And Jimmy and the nerds, they make it to the city council meeting where they're talking about if the young punks want to show how tough they are, the adults are going to show how tough they are, but Jimmy's going to interrupt and speak. And then the mayor or someone else, there's arguing between all sorts of people of whether or not to let the nerdy teens speak. But then they finally decide, okay, well, not all teenagers are the same, you know, but some are juvenile delinquents, so what are we going to do? And they ask Jimmy, what do you think we should do? And Jimmy's about to speak, but then he sees outside the door, the gang is there. What will Jimmy do? No, really, what will Jimmy do? Because they don't fucking tell us. What the hell is what with these, like, films that are like, what should you do? And then not give us an answer. 
supposed to solve the problem of juvenile delinquency. That's your fucking job. I'm just watching this film. If I knew what to do, I'd be out doing it, not watching a film asking what we can do about juvenile delinquency. I know the problem. I know the gangs are out there. But I don't know what to do. If it's up to me, fuck it. Let's throw a curfew, because fuck those gang members who... No, no, don't give them a curfew, because that's what the gang members want, because they don't want people talking to argue against having it. Because they are, like, a stupid gang. Or maybe they just want an extra thing to break the law over. Up next is What About Prejudice? Which, I'm guessing is going to be like the previous film, and not actually tell us what we can do about prejudice, just ask us to look inside ourselves. But... I'm curious to see if they will say Negroes or colored people. Um, or will they actually say black? Which I'm not entirely sure if that was a term that was still being used at this point. Or being if it had been coined yet. Or is it going to be like that other film and just our people? You people? So let's see what form of low-level, lowercase our racism is involved. I've noticed a lot of these films, at least like more educational ones, geared towards like teenagers, are from McGraw Hill. Which you may know because they corner the market on textbooks. Seriously, like I think every fucking textbook out there is from McGraw Hill. They got a monopoly on this, so I don't trust them. But I'm guessing these videos were probably meant, you know, they played them in school, and then afterwards the teachers discuss with the students. What can you do? So that's probably why there's no answers. But fuck that, I want some answers. I don't know. But in this one, uh, we get a warning about prejudices against usually some sort of minority. And in this film, Bob Jones is going to represent the minority. Or, sorry, Bruce Jones. But he's a symbol standing for all minority groups. So... He will not be seen or identified except in your mind. Which is a good way to kind of avoid having to say black people or colored people or Hispanics or white trash. It's uh, any minority. It's in your mind. Bruce Jones is the minority inside all of us. We only see Bruce Jones' feet. Because remember... He represents any minority. Although women are minorities too, so I guess he's not representing women. He could be representing transgendered people. So let's not completely rule that one out. Because he represents any minority. The minority that you hate. And so we see all the people, all the classmates that are all like, eh, why does he have to be in our school? Why do they let him? Why doesn't he just... Why don't they fail him? Because he's probably got bad grades. Because he's a minority and all. And the other guy says, like, tells the girl, Oh, that's not going to happen because he gets good grades. So maybe Bruce is Asian. Yeah, Bruce Jones doesn't sound like an Asian name. But you're a fucking racist for thinking that Bruce Jones can't be Asian. He could be Asian. He's any minority. He is all the minorities. But, you know, the other kids, they decide, like, well, we're just going to not associate with him 
But that's kind of hard because he's in school. And then there's a big fracas because Bruce Jones has attacked Ed. I like how he's always Bruce Jones. So I'm guessing there's no other Bruce's in this school. But poor Ed, because he's only like half the size of Bruce Jones, and Bruce Jones just attacked him out of nowhere. Who knows why? Just because Bruce Jones is an animal. And I'm pretty sure Ed, you know, threw some sort of racial slur, but we're going to overlook that. No, Ed's perfectly innocent. But, you know, now the kids are hopeful because... Well, Bruce Jones has got to get expelled, right? He has to get expelled. He attacked another student. That fucking animal. We can't have Bruce Jones in this school. One kid is upset because he went back to the classroom because he had forgotten his sweater there. But it's not there anymore. Oh, no. Maybe it's in Lost and Found. But his friend's like, wait a minute. Describe the sweater to me. And so he describes the sweater. It's like green. And apparently there's no other green sweaters in the world. And his friend's like, Wait a minute, I saw Bruce Jones with that sweater in his arm. And because there's absolutely no way Bruce Jones could have been, you know, taking it to the Lost and Found or anything, he must have stole it. Along with the pen that's been missing. That fucking Bruce Jones stealing pens. Well, I'm sure this is going to get Bruce Jones expelled. Of course, this is probably after affirmative action, so you can't expel Bruce Jones because he's the school's only minority. So they need to keep him to keep government funding. Then there's a school party, which is just completely, like, just hopping. Everyone's, like, having a good time, and they're like, this is the greatest party ever. I wonder why. What is different about this party? Bruce Jones is not at the party. So it's all rich, affluent white people Greatest party ever. But it's a good thing Bruce Jones isn't at the party. See, one of the girls comes running in and she's like, I was calling my mom to say I'd be late, but there was an accident. Tom and Carol skidded off the bridge and their car blew up. But luckily they were saved. Dun dun dun. Plot twist. Bruce Jones. He just went there and used his, like, brute super strength, Bruce Jones strength, to tear the car door off. Um, so, yeah, this guy is just an animal. He's got, like, super strength to tear car doors off. And he saved Carol. Of course he'd save the white girl first, because Bruce Jones is one of them people. Which kind of people? Any minority and all minorities. He is Bruce Jones, which I think I'm going to start using as uh, my racial slur of choice. Stop being a fucking Bruce Jones. And people would be like, what? Like, you know what I mean. So, but when he's trying to save Tom, oh no, the car car explodes because the gas tank explodes. And luckily, Tom got shielded by Bruce Jones. I like how they keep saying Bruce Jones, just so you know which Bruce it is. Um, that fucking Bruce Jones. He's a hero, but he got badly injured because he shielded Tom to take most of the damage. And everyone's like, oh no, I feel bad that I've been making fun of Bruce Jones and wanting him kicked out of the school. Everyone except Bill, because Bill's still a dick. He's like, Pah. 
But he actually has a good point, though. Because he's like, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. All you people were talking about how you hated him. Well, I still hate him. So, I mean, I guess this is kind of a point. You know, he's not a hypocrite. He's going to continue to hate Bruce Jones. So the kids decide, hey, we should go to the hospital and see Bruce. He might need blood. We can give him our blood. Not thinking that, you know, Bruce, he's a minority, so can he even accept this blood? Can their pure white blood mix with his all-minority blood? No, they don't think that. Probably one of them thought it, just for a little bit. But no one says it out loud. So they all go to the hospital, except for Bill. Because Bill's like, fuck this, I'm going back to the party. I'm going to party hardy. I'm going to guess the plot twist is that Bill has the same blood type as Bruce Jones and the other kids don't. So Bill is going to donate the blood. Or he's going to be like, fuck Bruce Jones. I don't care if he dies because of me. Because I may be a bigot, but at least I am honest about it. Which again, I mean, I hate Bill, but... I do give him a few points for being honest about being a dick. So on the drive over, the kids start realizing, you know, they've been kind of just assholes to Bruce. For example, Ed, he's like, yeah, he attacked me, but it's my fault because I was whistling that song. You know the one. I don't know the one, but I'm guessing it's a really fucking racist song. (laughs) So, again, yeah, Bruce just... He was justified in the attack, kind of. And then the guy who lost his sweater, like, oh, turns out his sweater was at the lost and found. Good old Bruce took it there. So they're realizing we have just been unnecessary assholes to Bruce because he's a minority. We should be deeply ashamed of ourselves. Yes, you should all be ashamed of yourselves. Because Bruce Jones, the super minority, deserves love just like anyone else. At the hospital, where they don't tell us what's going on with Bruce Jones or if he needs blood or if any of these kids can give blood, but they're all in the waiting room worried and thinking to themselves, like, what if Bruce doesn't make it? I'm going to feel like a complete shit heel because I wasn't nice to him. And if he makes it, I will have to change. But can I change? Am I just stuck in this prejudice and will it always follow me what can i do and the narrator asks what can they do what can you do what is it that creates prejudice and again give me some answers film don't fuck are you leaving it to my teacher to tell me what about prejudice how do i know my teacher isn't like some fucking racist who's like bruce jones had it coming to him if a racial slur is in the hospital do not give them your blood because their body cannot accept it their subhuman blood will not mix with your pure Aryan blood this is the risk McGraw Hill when you leave it to the teacher to finish teaching the lessons that your film is supposed to teach I don't know what do I do about prejudice do I only like the minorities that sacrifice themselves to save other white people Because that kind of seems to be the moral I'm getting from this story. That minorities, any and all minorities, 
can be great. But go ahead and hate them before they do their greatness. Now we've got what makes a good party. Not a bad party. The worst party that the Dead Milkmen have ever been. But a good party. So, hopefully this actually teaches us and not another one of these fucking videos where, what would you do? No, teach me. Teach me how to throw a good party and maybe my friends will finally come over. Jean, who looks like she's probably in her 30s, because all the teens in these films look like they're in their 30s, a trend that continued on till like, probably... Still goes on, really. Yeah, I think they keep hiring 30-year-olds to play teens in films. But Jean has called Arlene, and she's so excited because her brother's coming home from college, and he's bringing his roommate. Hubba hubba, oh boy, is he dreamy. Um, I don't know why Jean has a picture of the roommate. Um, have they already met? And is Jean at least 18? Um, is her brother's roommate grooming her? Um, this is kind of already a little, uh, eeky. But they're going to throw a party, and it has to be the greatest party, so Arlene's going to come over to help Jean plan a good party. The narrator tells us that the purpose of a party is to have fun, which seems, uh, obvious. But then again, you know, a pity party, it's not about having fun. The communist party... They're not about having fun. But there's different kinds of parties where you can have fun that they show us examples of. One of which, the kids are playing table tennis. Which, now that's the party I want to go to. Let's play some fucking table tennis. Which is now an Olympic sport. Just kind of crazy to think. But, I mean, it's crazy because table tennis is what I always did in gym class. Because it required the least effort. And that we could fold up one of the ping pong tables and I could just kind of sit there and so the gym teacher wouldn't see me. But, you know, the girls are planning what the party for... I think they said his name was Alex. We'll go with Alex. Or we'll go with fucking Creeper. Because he's grooming these girls. Come on. he If he's in college, he's over 18. And these girls are in high school. So they're under 18. So, no, I will not allow Creeper to have a name. Because he is fucking creeping. He's fucking grooming. But the girls, they're going to want to show him a wonderful time. And that's kind of the tone they use while hugging a giant stuffed panda. So, yeah, the girls want to bang him. And there's nothing wrong with that because teenage girls have these fantasies. It's going to happen. But someone has to sit down and tell them wrong from right that there's age of consent for a reason. So they're going over what they need to go over to plan this party. And there's four things written on their list. One, the guest list. Because, of course, you want to make sure only the cool kids come. Not Bruce Jones. Because he's all minorities. Two, invitations. Because... How are the guest list going to know that they're invited to the party if they don't have invitations? Three, refreshments. Because, I mean, that's kind of, uh, you probably should, but you could always throw a BYOB party. 
and four, entertainment. And I'm worried about what Gene and Arlene consider is going to be entertaining for this grooming creep. So they figure out their guest list, which is the five friends they have. And a couple of single gals for the single guys, haba haba, they're just kind of... Why would you... I mean, grooming creeper guy, doesn't Jean want to bang him? So why prostitute out her single friends? Huh. Maybe it's a swingers party. I don't know. I never got invited to any party, swinging or non-swinging. I just wasn't the cool kid. So, but they got their guest list. Invitations, they decide, well, you know, it's not formal, so they don't need to do actual invitations. They're just going to call everyone. Which makes it simple. No RSVPing. Then they need refreshments, because they got to feed the guys. And then Jean says to her one friend, the one that's not Arlene, and the girls, especially you, fucking fat shaming. She's not even fat. She is a standard size, average sized woman. And you're talking about how she eats so much? God, she's gonna become bulimic, bulimic and just. No, Gene, you're better than this. And of course, they need some entertainment, some games. They need good games. What games can they do? They're not sure, so they're going to head to the library. Fucking nerds. So it's the day of the big party, and everyone's excited. Um, the college boys don't understand why they're the guests of the party. Or whatever they're called. Guests of the party? Main guest? You know, wife of the party? Whatever, it's in their honor, and they don't understand. You know, they don't view themselves as big college bigwigs, but, you know, to high school girls, you college boys are worth a mountain. Not mountain as in a mountain you climb, but mount as in the verb of mount, the act of mount to mount. Um, yeah. More like high school girls, they say to college boys, slide it right in fucking creeper college boys here but everyone's shown up everyone from the guest list and now it's time to party are they gonna have fun did they get some good games let's find out and i'm not sure what some of these games they're playing are seems mostly write stuff on paper well the narrator tells us you know once guests start getting bored with the games move on to another game and they move on to another game that's Making hats out of tissue paper, I think. Um, yeah, that sounds fun. Oh, that's right, because they got these games from the library. Fucking nerds. I was hoping for, like, beer pong or something. Now, that would be a fun game. You know, you got these college boys. Um, granted, you probably don't want to get them drunk. Or more importantly, you don't want the high school girls to get drunk around college boys. So, these are good games. Beer pong would be a very bad game for this party. So, yes, keep these boring games that are going to keep the college boys bored and leave, and then you can have normal high school sex with high school boys. They play some more games before going into the ever-popular 
popular among the high school kids charades. Um, yeah, I guess this list was written by their mom. Speaking by of mom, mom comes by and she's got food ready. Which apparently they haven't eaten yet. They haven't had any like snacks or anything. Because she only cooked snacks. She didn't actually cook like dinner or anything. They've already played like 10 fucking games and now they decide, hey, let's eat. I think it's all because, you know, they've been fat shaming that one girl and decided, you don't need to eat. If we put the food out too early, she's going to eat it all. Well, fuck you and fuck your fat shaming party. And while they're eating, college boy, because he knows how to make the girls wet by playing some music. Now, it's like about 40 years too early for him to start playing Wonderwall. So instead, he plays... The sexiest song known to man back in the 50s. Jimmy Crack Corn. And I don't care. And you know what? I'm going to sing it because it's public domain. Which means I don't have to pay for singing Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care. Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care. If there's high school girls listening, they will now be moist. I will not take advantage of them. Because... I prefer women of legal age. Jimmy Crack Corn. I mean, that's my version. His version is not. Because, I mean, if, if he was around these days, College Boy would be in, like, a pop-punk band and playing whatever pop-punk song to make the teenage girls all, whoo, fucking groomer college creep. Now, I wasn't aware there's more lyrics to the song than just Jimmy Crack Corn and I Don't Care. Of course, I don't care about the rest of the lyrics, so we're just going to stick with that. And apparently the last part of making a good party is that everyone leaves on time. Which I agree. That, that is probably the most important part. People should not overstay their welcome. Especially those creeper college boys. Because those girls have school in the morning. Do not try anything. Do not leave your numbers with them. Just forget they exist. Until they turn 18. Now we turn our attention to what to do on a date. She's going to teach us what to do on a date. Really. Pretty self-explanatory. But they, they explain it anyhow. A high school senior learns how and where to ask a girl for a date. Where to take her for a good time. And how to avoid spending too much money or being bored by commercialized amusements. That last one's kind of interesting. Like, the whole world's just gotten too commercial. So you're going to get bored. We're going to find interesting ways for you to go. Without spending too much money, you cheapskate. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's hold the ho horse here. Hold the horse. Um... So this is a story about a date, and it starts with a story about Jeff, Kay, and oh, I already forgot his name, Nick or something. But, whoa, I think we're going a little too forward that we're going to have a threesome here. They're going to run the train on Kay. Like, what the hell? I thought this was going to be a nice, wholesome, innocent date. But they're going to, like, tag team her or something. Not cool, 1950s educational film. I mean, if that's what she wants, it's perfectly fine. 
I just... I think they're just moving this relationship a little too quick, don't you? Okay, Jeff is just Nick's wingman. So, Jeff is still cool in my book. Because you're going to help Nick get laid. So, but Nick's just really nervous, so Jeff tells him, you know, just go ahead and call Kay. And so he does, and invites her to go see the movie Wagon Train, which I guess must have been popular, because she already saw it. Oh no, Nick, what can you do? But Jeff, luckily Jeff is there, he's like, ask her to the scavenger sale, or to help set up the scavenger sale. And that seems kind of lame date, like, hey, you want to come help me do stuff? You know, it's my responsibility, but you can come and take half the work. And that'll be our date. But it's good enough for Kay. So, Jeff's got a foot in the door. No, wait, Nick has the foot in the door. Jeff's just a wingman. Jeff might have a foot in the door, too. Because, who knows, he might still be thinking, let's double-team her. So, it's the day of the big scavenger sale. And they're all, all the kids are helping out set everything up. And the narrator tells us, why, this looks like this could be fun. The hell, narrator? You don't know if this is going to be fun? Shouldn't you know? You're, aren't you teaching us what to do on a date? And you don't even know if this is going to work and you're telling us to do it? But, I mean, it looks like Nick and Kay are having a good time. Oh, yeah. Not that kind of good time. They're just setting things up. Nick is wondering where Jeff gets all these, like, great fantastic ideas when he sees a community bulletin board featuring events that are upcoming, events that he could invite Kay to, hmm, such as a baseball game, and he's fantasizing it, where the guy throws the ball and the batter, it's like straight at him and the batter doesn't even bother in swinging. He, he could have easily hit that. Like, just how shitty of a ball player are you? Or are you like the mighty KC and you're like, eh, I didn't like that one. Pitch again. Or you could take her to a weenie roast and say, hey baby, you want to roast my weenie? Dude, Nick, you got to do that. Take her to the weenie roast and pull that line. That will drop her panties in an instant. She'll be all wet, and you can slide right in. I, you know what? I'm going to try that next time I'm at a weenie roast. Hey, baby. Want to roast my weenie? And I suggest all of you out there try that as well. Do kids have weenie roasts anymore? Go for it. Do a weenie roast and tell a girl, Hey, baby. You want to roast my weenie? But you got to say it like, Hey, baby. You want to roast my weenie? You will get some action. Of course, Nick's not sure which one he should do to invite Kay to. So he asks Jeff. Jeff, how do you know what a girl likes? And Jeff, because he's the awesome wingman, just ask her. Which, you know, seems like, oh yeah, well that's obvious. But it's not always so obvious. But yes, if you want to know what someone likes, you know, it doesn't just, this advice isn't just about girls. Works for boys too. If you want to know what someone likes, ask them. And hopefully they'll tell you. 
Sometimes they don't tell you, and that point you just get pissed off, like, what the fuck? Well then what am I supposed to know you what you want to do? But refrain from your, refrain yourself from saying, you stupid bitch. Just saying. Do not, do not talk that way. Meanwhile, Kay is hanging out with her friend, and her friend's all like, ooh, Nick is cute. Back off! Nick belongs to Kay. Back off, you thirsty sea wench. But Kay's like, you know, he's nice to hang out with, but he hasn't asked me out to a date again. Which, Kay, give him a minute. You're still in the middle of your first date. Which even is, is it even a date? Do you consider it a date? Are you not considering it a date? You know, let it, give him time until the end of hanging out before he asks you out on a date. Don't, you know, what the hell? You're not supposed to ask someone for a second date, like, in the middle of a date, like... Because that could ruin everything. Because say he asks you in the middle of the date, like, do you want to go on a second date? And you're like, nah, not really. But let's have dinner for, like, you know, like... You just had the appetizers, and dinner hasn't come yet, and you've already turned them down, and now dinner's just gonna be just very awkward. And so, Nick asks Kay, well, what do you like to do? Because he's taking Jeff's advice, and, you know, again, it is good advice. Ask her what she likes to do. And what she does, what does she like to do? Go to Weenie Roasts. Seriously, that is her answer. And luckily, there is a weenie roast coming up next week. Nick, my man, you are in. You are in like Flynn. You take her to that weenie roast. And remember, remember my patented line. Hey, baby, you want to roast my weenie? You are you're golden. Um, but stick to that line. Do not start off with... Want to put my weenie in your mouth? That's a little too forward. You go with the roast my weenie line. Trust me, Nick. Trust me. And if you don't trust me, ask Jeff. Because I know Jeff has had to use that line before. Jeff has been at many weenie roasts, and he has asked many women to roast his weenie. And it works. You're going to get to at least second base. It will get you to at least second base. And second base is a good base. You know, I don't know if that film really even told me what to actually do on a date. It just kind of was like, ask the girl what she wants to do and hopefully it's something cheap. You cheap bastard. And, you know, it didn't even tell me that, you know, if you go on a weenie roast, use the weenie roast line. So, I don't know. I didn't find it helpful. Now we've got... You can tell by the teller. Um, I would skip this film normally because it doesn't sound that interesting. It's a instructional film for telephone business office cashiers, parentheses, tellers, who interact with the public, which seems kind of like, nah, and it's kind of a lengthier one. But the selling point for me, it has a heavy dose of period sexism. And as Spinal Tap once said, 
What's wrong with being sexy? Especially on your period. Oh yeah. Oh, is that not what period sexism means? Periods, period sexism is not the same as period sexiness. So we're at a Bell office. Remember Bell? Like, that phone company? I think, like, the original phone company, right? Alexander Graham Bell? They didn't last. Suck it, Bell. You know why? I bet this film is going to show us why, because it's going to tell us what not to do, and that's probably what the Bell people did. They did what they shouldn't do, because they did what Donnie Don't says not to do to do they did don't. Exactly. But the unseen narrator, he's going to pay his bill. And the teller, cashier, whatever you want to call her, she's very nice and friendly and smiles. Oh, what a smile. And it made for a pleasant transaction. And it made you feel good about it. But now they're going to show us how it could have gone wrong. They're going to show us a broad that doesn't know how to smile or something. Let's find out the wrong way to be a teller. So the bad teller, you know, she didn't say hi to the guy who just kind of grumpily came up and just threw his money down on the desk. Um, yeah, so... I'm gonna call shenanigans. Like, okay, yeah, she's kind of a bitch, but so is this fucking asshole customer. Like, he doesn't even say hi. We don't even know if it was time for him. You know, the tellers usually say, Okay, next. Come on up. Come on down. Whichever direction you're going. But, you know, he just walks up and he just plops his money down. And just starts going... <laughs> Which, okay, she could have said, like, Yes, can I help you? But, you know, maybe she saw that... This guy kind of doesn't have time for small talk, so she just took his money, all the while while chewing gum, which, okay, I will side with the film on that one. Do not chew gum. That is fucking annoying. Don't chew gum while you're servicing the customers. Unless you're servicing them in the back room. That's okay then. Yeah, of course I made the sexual chewing gum while giving hand jobs joke. Didn't you read between the lines there? But then another woman comes up and she's trying to pay and the guy drops things and I don't even know how that one's like her the teller's fault. But apparently the whole thing was just so bad and it's just gonna lose a customer. Cause remember this is the days before you can just go online and pay your bill. I don't know, could you pay your bill by telephone? Did they have that then? Because this is Bell, so they should be on the forefront of phone technology. So the narrator tells us that it's important for the teller position that you put in a girl that has a quick mind and a beautiful smile, or radiant smile. I forget which way he described it. The important part is that she smiles. Smiles at the customer. Because, you know, it's the only face-to-face -face interaction they have with the company, so, you know, people are just miserable to begin with about paying bills, and if it feels like they're not being appreciated for paying their bills, they're going to be 
grumpier, but what the fuck are they gonna do? You know? It's like, you gotta pay your bill. You gotta pay your phone bill. Bell is the only phone company in existence right now at the time of this. So what are they gonna do? Go take their business elsewhere? Go without a phone? Oh, I don't like you guys, so I'm not paying my bill. Yeah? Well, fuck you, sir. We're cutting off service. So, go hang some wires and tin cans and see how many people you can talk to through that. Ha 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 ha. And there's a bunch of tellers here and this little kid with, like, the jug hat hat and a big candy bar comes and plops his money down and what the fuck is he paying? What bills does he have to pay? He's, like, fucking eight or something maybe nine could possibly be ten either way he's got no fucking bills what his parents just sent him off with the money go pay the phone bill <laughs> i'm coughing because i smoke a lot it's the 50s <laughs> yeah and you trust him to pay the bill he probably didn't have that candy before you gave him the money for to pay the bill like oh Looks like you're a little short. Hmm. You're short exactly the amount of that candy bar. Fucking kid, you can't trust them to pay your bills for you. I'm surprised you didn't just eat it all in candy. And run off. And find some stranger with a van. And never come back home. And there is a... Narrator says that it's important that even though you're doing the same shit over and over and over Don't come off all robotic and routine about it because it's not routine for the customers. They Are taking time out of their busy busy day. For example, this housewife Which according to the narrator had to rearrange her house cleaning schedule and then comb her hair so she could come down to pay the bill um, Okay, housewife that one's on you that's on you, because you did not have to comb your hair. And why do I say that? Because you wore a fucking hat to the place to pay your bill! You had a hat on, so who gives a fuck if your hair is combed or not? What the fuck? Just seriously, that's on you, housewife. You did not have to comb your hair. And... I don't know. I have to pay bills. I have to go to the bank to deposit the rent check, and I don't give a fuck if the bank teller smiles at me or not, because I know it's a shitty job, and you're miserable, I'm miserable, all I care is that you do this as quick as possible, I don't give a fuck if you smile at me, if you're robotic, whatever, just cash me in, cash me out, cash me outside, just get the fucking job done. Because I didn't comb my hair. So I guess the key to good customer service here is to pretend you're hosting a party. Because, you know, you're a woman. So it's your job to host a party and make sure everyone's happy and has all the refreshments. But instead of refreshments here, it's the receipt for the bill they just paid. You take the money because you're a woman but you don't keep the money yourself you give it to the man because the man is the boss and you are just a woman you gotta pretend that you're hosting a party and be happy and smile and the customers would love you
And be sure to give a personal touch when you can. For example, this old lady, you know, her husband's sick, so she can only pay $5 towards the bill because, you know, they got expenses and all that. And, oh my God, back then they'd be like, okay, sure, just pay the $5. Just pay the rest when you can. Nowadays it'd be like, fuck you, pay me. But my husband's sick and can't work and get back. Fuck you, pay me. But, so she gives a personalized touch, though, when she gives the receipt. She's like, I hope your husband feels better. And as the narrator tells us, an alert lady can please her customers. Let me say that again. An alert lady can please her customers. So, yeah. Any hookers out there listening to this? Stay alert. And it's important also to note that customers, you know, they've got a lot going on on their mind. For example, there's this guy, he's going to have to undergo surgery. First something, who knows. Um, But I guess it's going to be major because he's focused on it. And, you know, he's going to get pissed off if you're not making him feel welcome for paying his bill. And then there's the woman who's worried about her child. Why is she worried? We don't know. It is not our business. She's worried, and that's all that matters. And then there's the teenage girl who, as per the narrator, well, we all know what teenage girls are thinking about. Oh yeah. Wait, she's teenage. She's underage. No, 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 I take back that Oh yeah. Because, you know, what do teenage girls think about? Like, if there are Leaf Cassidy posters up crooked, Jonathan Taylor Thomas posters, JTT, that was my jam. That was back in my day and age. JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. But yeah, I'm pretty sure the narrator's thinking, this teenage girl has boys on her mind. Oh, silly her, but you know, that's not as serious a problem as an operation, but yeah. And why is the teenage girl paying the bills anyhow? Much like the kid with the candy bar. <laughs> you just trusted her to go pay the bill? No, she's a teenage girl. She's gonna buy cigarettes and give blowjobs behind the schoolyard. So I've heard. She's gonna, she's gonna spend all that money on boys and makeup. You expect her to actually make it and pay the bill? You know, I'm getting sick of hearing how perfect this girl is. Ah, blah, blah. She handles everything greatly and perfectly and courteously. And she's nice to everyone, even when she can't help them. Like the idiot who wants to pay his, pay his electric bill. You're at the fucking wrong building, you asshat. Do you not know that this is the telephone company building? Does it say electric company on my forehead? Get the fuck out of here. But I'll take your money. But it won't go to the electric. It'll go to my vibrators. What was I going on about again? Yeah, that's why I suck at customer service. I may, Maybe I should pay more attention to this film and be courteous and smile more. And so there's 12 steps to being the teller and tough work and they have to do it like a girl and not a carpenter and whatever. I checked out. 
I don't trust people who have shitty jobs and are that happy doing it. If you have an awesome job, then yes, I completely expect you to be happy because it's fucking awesome and you should be fucking psyched. But if you have a shitty job, I expect you to be fucking miserable because it's a shitty job and you recognize it's a shitty job and I'm not going to force you to sit there and pretend and eat shit and smile that, oh, I love my job that fucking sucks and is destroying my soul from the inside. No, I, for one, think it's okay for you to hate your job. You know, it's a shitty job. I understand. I side with you. I'm, I'm not a the customer is always right type of asshole. I'm several different types of assholes, but, you know, I understand if you're not having a good day. I am not going to make you really go out of your way to make me comfortable because I understand you have a shitty job. You're working minimum wage, so you don't care. You shouldn't have to put this much effort into it. So fuck everyone. Fuck off. Tell them to fuck off. You can tell me to fuck off and I'll be like, I salute you good sir or ma'am because you have a shitty job and as such it is your right to tell me to fuck off so yeah that film taught me that I never ever want to be a teller to work for the phone company and accept payments so final 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 film in this series I swear I will do no further after this one it's titled Your Name Here which I guess is just a sample film for what they can make for your business to make films. So I think it's just all sorts of stock footage and then you can just insert your name here. So I'll see, maybe I can make a film for Velvet Owl Industries. So we begin with this guy telling us that for far too long, the industrial film industry has been plagued by just soaring costs. It's so expensive to make one because you have to pay for things like scripts and actors and all that. So this is the biggest revolution there is, an industrial film revolution, if you will, of industrial revolution films or something. But this is going to be an all-purpose film where you just insert your company's name in and you've got... Your own industrial film. Finally, I'm not sure what my company is, but I am going to probably use this to make my own industrial film. So they tell us about how since the beginning of time, mankind has been trying to just look for a better life. And it starts off with a caveman who gets all scared because he hears a dinosaur in the background. And then we just get footage of people throughout the years walking like a Spanish Spanish conquistador and a Roman emperor or something. And eventually, this leads them all to want to travel to America to find a better world, a new world. And they form the United States. And John Hancock is trying to sign the Declaration of Independence, but his pen doesn't have enough ink. Which is a problem I... I feel. So, I think this is relatable to me, and therefore it will be relatable to my customers. A, being scared of dinosaurs. B, running out of ink. But, then they tell us, we weren't happy just with the original colonies. We had to expand westward. 
and tame the savage red man. And we got two guys I think are Lewis and Clark or something. They've got the kind of Davy Crockett raccoon hats on. And one of them just looks like a beatnik with a very long kind of pointy beard. And he's like, hey, man, a lot of Indians. Let's turn back. And the other guy, what's wrong with you? We want a better life. We must continue forward. Which, yeah, don't let those, don't let Red Man stand in your way. Don't even let Method Man stand in your way. You go chase that dream. And we've reached the modern world with such marvels as skyscrapers and cars and all that. And life should be just fucking amazing for us, right? But it's not. There's just, there's something missing. And poor John. Poor, poor, poor John. He can feel it. There's just something missing. Something keeping him back from having the life he can have. The best life he could have. And his wife Mary, who naturally is in a separate bed, can feel it too. I mean, I'm thinking what's missing is their sex life. I mean, they're in separate beds. John, if you just fucked Mary once in a while, then maybe you would feel complete. And Mary would feel that hole filled up. I probably should have stopped and, you know, tried to better word that. Because the joke is there. The joke is there. The hole is her vagina. And the filling up is his penis. That's what I'm saying is missing. But luckily, at the labs of your company name here, the scientists were hard at work and accidentally stumbled across the greatest invention in the history of mankind. Yes, they invented your product here. So now the world is going to be better thanks to you, which hopefully your company is a company that has, like, a lab and your company isn't just, like writing textbooks or something. Yeah, our scientists accidentally created a better book. Who knew? And thanks to your product here, there's so many miracles that have happened. Our pets are better trained. Our cigarettes provide more satisfaction. We get better shaves, which, like, Sky with just a little razor, he's got big bushy beard and is able to just kind of shave it clean with his tiny little razor. Is that my product? Um, but best of all, John got a promotion. I bet Mary's gonna go down on John tonight. He got the promotion after all. And then the film ends by telling us that, you know, our great company president, or your great company president, because they're trying to sell it to you, that you're going to insert is just a great, like American in the history of America, shaping the nation like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, though they do give you the option to use Robert E. Lee instead of Lincoln. So, um, yeah, I guess if your company is geared more towards the South, yeah, I guess you want to go with Robert E. Lee and just be like, 
Our product, whites only. Because, yeah, this is 1960, so I think we still had separate put equal. Which wasn't really equal, it was just more separate. So, if your product is racist, you can choose Robert Lee. America. And thus, another episode comes to a close. And I hope you guys learned something. Or at least didn't get dumber. That's the end of the series on educational films. So next week we'll be back to watching terrible movies. And me banging my head against a wall. I'm going to bang my head against something now. Do you hear that? I banged my head against a pillow. What, you think I'm fucking stupid that I'm going to bang my head against a hard surface? As always, velvetal at hotmail.com or leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube or, you know, I've run out of jokes. Later.